Awesome. Well, good morning. Um, we have set out on a journey, whether you knew it or not. I, I, I'm saying, let's go. Let's, let's do something. We're making our way through a series called Becoming Everyday Disciples. And what we're trying to do, what, what I'm trying to do, and, and hopefully is, is, is lead us into identifying six habits, six habits, six spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices that I would love to see us, I-90 Community Church, uh, to start practicing together, to start kind of like making it part of, of what we do and how we think of the way we, we, we follow after Jesus. Um, so this is not a typical sermon series where you can just sit back and relax and open up your brain, right, and, and hope that that um, does the work. Although actually, you know, if, if I'm entirely honest, it, it is, right, because I can't make you do any of this. I can't make you do any of this but I can just invite you to participate. And that's really what I want you to hear. I'm, I'm really encouraging you to just, just try this out, to see what would happen if, if all of us could step into building in some rhythms, some habits, some practices into our lives. Because I think these will be things that will be really valuable. Um, so please do consider uh, trying to build these in. These, these are not things, and they're, intentionally, they're not things that are going to take up a ton of your time. In fact, a lot of them are things you, you probably are already doing right now. Um, like, like what we're talking about this morning. We're, we're talking about something this morning, a, a, a practice that I guarantee you, you are already doing, maybe three times a day. But you're probably not doing it, you're probably not doing this in an intentional way. You, you might not be doing it like, like in the hopes that God would use this thing that you, that you do every day um, to somehow advance his mission. And to, um, you know, to, to, to bring, bring forward what he's doing, doing in your life and in, in, all around you. Um, you could probably guess what I'm talking about, but we'll get there in a second. Um, but you'll, you'll remember um, the definition of faith that we've been working off of in this series. And of course, it's Dallas Willard's, because Dallas Willard knows everything. Um, so he says this, faith is a commitment to action, often beyond our natural abilities, based upon knowledge of God and God's ways. And, and this is like these habits, these, these discipline, these practices are, I think, faith-filled in that they are based off of an understanding of who God is and what's, what he's up to and what he's like. And, and, and they involve, as, as does everything we do in life, a commitment to action, a, a life lived on the basis of knowledge of God and God's ways. I really do think that's what faith is, and I do think we're called to live lives of faith, not just not only believing in particular facts about who Jesus is and what he's like, but understanding that in those facts and who he is, like there's this whole plan that God has, that he's unfolding and bringing about something in the world by sending Jesus, by making him Lord, by making him be a salva uh, an offering that would bring salvation and take away sin. All that is for a purpose. God is doing something, and we get to, I really believe, live by faith, which is to live in light of what God has revealed and made clear, the knowledge about who God is and what he's doing. But the thing is, like, I oftentimes, and I'm talking about me here, I might be talking about you, but I am really good at living, at not putting into action what I know about God. I'm really good at going on autopilot in my life. I'm so, I'm great. I can do it with my eyes closed. I can do it with my eyes closed. Like, like with one hand tied behind my back, I can live 
really just from, from not on, 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 uh, according to what I know about God. But I really think the life of faith is to live with our eyes open, to live with, with both hands, to live according to what we know, and to, and to build what we know about God into our lives. Opening our eyes, seeing and knowing that my life is not just about me and you know, what I'm hungry for or, or what I want or what I want to accomplish or how I want to feel, but my life is more than that. The life that I have is actually a life that is meant to be lived with God. I've got a slide that really makes that super clear in giant letters. My life is not just a, it's not about my, it's not about the me, it's about what I'm doing with God. My life is meant to be, a life of faith is meant to be a life with God. This, it's just fundamental. It's fundamental that we have to understand that Jesus is doing something. Because it's so easy to go through life living in the context of me, right? Thinking that everything I'm doing is just about me and my wants and what I want to accomplish and how I want to feel and where I want to get to at the end. And, and I'm not trying to bring about any guilt or shame because that's not how it is. It's, God does not guilt us and shame us to, to, to not living for, for, for you, for me, and living for him instead. Do you, do you get that? It's not, well, in order to fix my me problem, I'm just going to be all about God, not care about me. It's actually that I'm going to understand that God wants to live a life with me where both of us are involved. It's a very different thing than just saying, well, I'm just going to totally, I'm terrible, I'm awful, I'm just going to be all about God. That will lead you to a point of exhaustion. and It'll probably be motivated from self-hatred. God doesn't, God doesn't hate you. He loves you enough that he died for you to invite you into a relationship, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and to have a life with him. It's a totally different thing. We have to open our eyes to this and see that our life can be a part of something bigger, something that God is doing in the world that he wants to do with us, that he wants to involve us in. He wants to involve us in his purposes. That's why Jesus came. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we don't just like, get saved and go straight to heaven. We have something to do here in life right now. Um, John Mark Comer, he's, he was a pastor in Portland. Now he's just like... One of those guys who just writes books all the time. Great life. Um, he has this new podcast out, and he was talking about prayer. But he makes the point, which, which, and he's, again, he's talking about prayer, but I think, it's really, um, I think it's really relevant to when we're talking about like any kind of spiritual practice. He makes the point that in order to pray correctly, we have to actually first understand like where we are in the story and what God is doing in the middle of it. He says this. What God is doing right now in human history, in the cosmos, the main thing that God is doing in the world is he's forming a new humanity of people, not based on ethnicity or nation-state citizenship or blood at all, but based on allegiance to King Jesus, a new humanity that we call the church. He is forming them into people who are pervaded by love and wisdom and power just as Jesus was. So we're sitting here. We have a calling from God. He's saved us, but saved us for this purpose of being a part of what he's doing in the world, forming a people, 
pervaded with love and wisdom and power. Like Jesus, becoming like Jesus, enjoying fellowship with God. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Your life is not about your agenda or about just like just you anymore. Jesus is on a rescue mission 100%. He's, he's seeking and saving the lost. But he's going beyond that. It doesn't just end there, what he wants to do once, once people get saved. He's taking those whom he saved and he's making them, he's making us into something more. You are involved in something that God is doing. He's forming you. He's forming us into a new humanity, a new tribe called the saved, a new tribe called the church, those who know God and walk with him. And he's given you a life in Jesus, a life with God. You are called to be, we are called to be people who are loving God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and becoming more and more like that all the time. Body, soul, and spirit, devoted to God, with God, living in God's presence, people who are being pervaded by love, a love that has come to rescue us, a love that Jesus demonstrates and shows us and pours out in our hearts like it says in Romans 7. The Holy Spirit is doing that. He's pervading you with love, filling you with love that you would know love, and then making you someone who would go out to love in the same way that he loves. Oh, it's so much bigger than we think. Oh, I just get saved and I punch my card so I can go to heaven when I die. Come on. What a low vision of your life. Jesus sees so much more because he has done so much more. And he is enabling and equipping us to be so much more than that. Let's get on board with what God is doing. He's got a purpose now and eternally. And when I start to really understand what my life is and what it's about and where it's going, that it is a life with God and it is to be filled with all of that he has for us, love, wisdom, power by the Spirit, when I start to understand that, then I start to understand what being a disciple is for. Living as a person who is being formed into what we're called to be, people of love, people of wisdom, people of power. When I start to understand that, where I sit in this story, then I'm going to start thinking of my daily life differently. And that's what I want us to lean into. Instead of my life revolving around me, I start to see that my life, the challenges, the fun parts, and I think almost most importantly, the boring parts, all of those parts are a venue where God can come and like reveal himself more and shape me and form me into his character and do what he wants to do in my life. And it's the boring parts, I think, that really matter. Because if I'm honest, I, I have a great life. I love my life. I get to ski, you know. got four children who throw things at me. You never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, but a lot of life is boring. A lot of life is just boring. You're just doing the things. You're waking up. The alarm goes off. Well, I guess I got a shower. <laughs> you know, just doing the things that you need to do. Like my whole life can become a place, if I think about it in the right way, where, where God is just doing something in me. He's transforming my character. When I get to know God, who he is, what he's up to, what he's doing in history, my everyday life, even the boring stuff, actually becomes situated and a part of that story. And I think the, my life will open up. My purpose 
will open up. I'll start to start to learn and, and, and grasp some things that God wants to do. But um, we, we lean into that. My, arg- my argument is we lean to, into that is by building a life organized around habits, spiritual disciplines, practices that are aimed at leading me into a greater awareness of what God's doing, what he's told me is true, and, and how I am able to be a, a participant in that. So we build those habits into our lives, and then we start to grow into that story. So last week, I challenged you. Um, I challenged you to be people who bless. Um, and I was going to try to put it up on this little tiny screen, but it was giving me trouble before, so I'm just going to pull up my little tiny computer. It's even smaller, which is even more embarrassing because I failed here. That's great. <laughs> um, and so look at this is, a, this is a little six of you participated, which thank you. No, there's significantly more than six people in this room, though, so good thing it's anonymous. No grades. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, like, hey, uh, you know, but just, just to address that, um, I get it. And I, I, I'll give you this. One week is not enough time to change your whole life around. So I 100% like, like you're like, oh, man, you tell me Sunday that by next Sunday you want me to tell you how, how blessed people are. Like, you got to give me three weeks notice. Okay, so in three weeks we'll revisit it, okay? So we'll keep, we'll keep going on this. And that's, I, to, I totally get it. Like, it's so true. Like, life has inertia behind it, and it takes a while to move the ship. It's like, you know, a big ship moving at full speed. It, it takes a while to turn. So I'm not, not judging or anything like that. But I will say this. This will fail miserably. <laughs> fail miserably. If we don't try it. Would you, would you just, just try thinking about some of these things, even just, just a few little steps? I, like, like life of, of people, like suburban people who are, who are career people, like you guys are busy. I respect that. But I'm going to be a little bit of pastoral here. I'm going to be a little demanding here. I'm just going to say, just, just try it for a little while. Just see what happens if we get out of our comfort zones and do things that maybe I'd rather not. I have my own routines and stuff. Like, like I think that if we, if we like this idea of being formed into people who are pervaded with love and wisdom and power, I think this is the way to do it. And we can talk about that. I will convince you. Let me persuade you, right? But why don't you give it a try? Give it a try. So I wanted to share with you a few things that people said. So the question was, share how you blessed someone this week and how God used it, Okay. And so here's, here's, I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you just so we can encourage one another in these things. One, I got flowers for my wife when she wasn't feeling well. It helped her feel appreciated and loved and maybe a little better. I love that. I'm married to a lovely lady. How simple, how easy it is to just like go on autopilot in your marriage. Like, it, it, we all know that. Everybody who's been married knows that, man, you can go two, three years not appreciating your spouse. And it's just like life goes by quick, right? But to be intentional in marriage changes marriage. It changes the trajectory of a relationship. It opens it up. It makes it beautiful. That is so true of, 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 of spousal relationships, but also in all relationships. You know, our relationships are opportunities where we can care about people and bless them. And when we're intentional, man, God can use it. Here's another one. I made a cake for 12 coworkers. That's a lot of cake. And I sit, uh, I, 
that I sit with just to brighten everybody's day, right? Just, just to bless them and care about them, let them know that they're loved and that they're thought of. Here's another one. God prompted me to spend time with some friends who, who canceled me over a year ago. Instead of canceling them in return, my heart was drawn to do the opposite, and the results were healing for me as the giver of the blessing. Yes, thank you. Look, I, I want to applaud that because, gosh, how tenuous are our relationships? And w- like we talked about last week, Jesus says, don't bless, curse, curse. Bless those who curse you. We have an opportunity to be people of blessing who do the opposite of what, the, what is natural in the world. And we don't do that in pride, but just seeing, man, this is how, this is how God moves his kingdom forward. That's how he did it with me. You know, Romans 5, 8, like, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus wasn't waiting around for us to show a little promise till he did something in our lives. He led with grace and he led with blessing, confident that that would bring a return. And we can go out in that same spirit, understanding that same thing, blessing people who don't deserve blessing, blessing people who have treated us poorly. And it's going to change us. It's going to be a blessing for us. It's going to be a blessing for them. Uh, here's another one. I reached out to a former Young Life kid. No idea who this one is. Uh, <laughs> uh, now an adult, living and working in our community. Uh, she, gave a, she gave her life to Jesus. Uh, uh, she never gave her life to Jesus and have, has always stayed connected. She just moved out of her home and, and has nothing. Uh, I'm going to throw her a virtual home shower uh, once she gets her Amazon list together. I'd love to gather some people to bless her with small things for a new place, and she's currently reusing a plastic fork. And, hey, we do this together, so, like, yes, whoever this is, um, I'm down. Let's throw this person, let's bless this person as much as we could possibly manage. Let's, like, get this person, let's take care of this person so they would know that they're loved. Because it's one thing to say you love people. It's another way, thing to serve them and bless them. I, we have an opportunity. Let's, let's do even, even more. And you guys do a great job of this, but let's do it all together. Treated a coworker, a non-believer to breakfast, and a friend, a believer to dinner. Hopefully they felt seen, heard, and valued, and God will use that to draw them closer to him. Yes and amen. And then the last one, I felt God impress uh, me to stop unexpectedly uh, by a friend I hadn't seen for a couple years. She had a stroke a few months ago, and I prayed for her and her husband. It felt like a divine appointment. Beautiful. Now, that's six stories. And I know you shy people, you have, you have things that you don't want to share, and that's fine. I respect that, right? But imagine if everybody here, if, imagine if everybody here were just devoting ourselves to practicing our faith and blessing people. Man, it's not that the church would grow, like, okay, yeah, it's not, it's not all these, these, these small wins. It's that God can transform people's lives permanently when his people get on board with what he's doing. It's a beautiful thing, and I, like, I think it's just a privilege to be a part of it. It's a privilege to have a calling from God to, to bless the way that he blesses. And so, like, let's keep encouraging each other in this, and we'll do things like this in the future. Um, this week, we're moving on to another practice. Last week was about, about blessing, um, and I made these six practices in, into an acronym from, for the word become. And so now we did B, and now we're on to E. And E is, like you probably guessed from my little tease in the beginning, E is eat. 
something you do three times a day. Everybody eats, maybe two, two times a day. That's okay. Um, eat. Now, now, I admit, I will admit that uh, it's a lot like B, right? <laughs> Blessing and eating. In fact, I talked to, to Tony um, the other day, um, and his B was actually an E. You know, he didn't know. He didn't know we were going to E, right? You know, that's okay, right? Be- and that, there's a natural connection between blessing people and eating with them, right? Somebody, somebody did that also, uh, shared, shared a meal um, in the ones who, ones who shared on, on Slido here. Um, but, we're, but there is a little bit of a distinction. And, and um, I really think that uh, sharing a meal is just like a first-class way to bless somebody. And so... You know, even just like if you're thinking about your life and how you integrate these things, you can kill two birds with one stone. A blessing and eating can be, can be one and the same. I'm, I'm good with that. Don't want to be legalistic about it, right? Um, but, but a meal, sharing a meal with someone is a particularly powerful thing. And you know who really understood this? Jesus. Jesus is the Sunday school answer. It was Jesus. Um, it's clear that Jesus had, right, he had a huge teaching ministry. He would come, he would go out in a field, and thousands of people would come and seek him out, and he'd tell them about uh, the kingdom of God. And he had, a, he had a, a, a ministry of kingdom demonstration, doing miracles and healing people, right? But maybe, and I think if we kind of read the, the, the way Scripture focuses on things, one of his most significant ministries, one of his most powerful and lasting ministries was that Jesus had a ministry strategy that was relational and focused on the table. We have a lot of scripture pointing to Jesus eating with people. He was um, certainly relational with his disciples. He shared his life with them, but he seemed to take every opportunity that he could get to share meals with people. He was oftentimes eating with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, you know, the people who, um, goodness, the people who were kind of in charge of, of, of the religious institutions of his day, but he also, controversially, he would eat with people who were outcasts and not a part of the religious establishment. He would eat with people who were of low social standing, even people who were just like hated in his society. And we see a great example of this in Mark 2 says this, while he was re, uh, reclining at the table, the way you did, reclining at the table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following him. And when the scribes who were Pharisees saw uh, that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus understood that the the table was an excellent place for ministry. And I I think we get this, but but I I just want to make it really clear. I, I don't think Jesus sat down with Levi and the tax collectors and just handed out tracts. You know, like, I'm glad you're here. Let me tell you how much of sinners you are and how you need me to die for you, right? You know, he, he, didn't, he didn't go about his ministry that way. I, I think it's clear, especially as we read into the reaction of the Pharisees, that Jesus sat, at the t- sat down at the table and what he had was a, was a friendly and caring and honest and relational and open kind of conversation with these people. That's why the Pharisees were so disturbed by it. That, that he would have such friend, friendly relationships with sinners and tax collectors, people who were on the outside of society. 
And yeah, I mean, Jesus probably talked about God. Jesus was always talking about God. Jesus had a life with God. That he had a life with the Father. It was an overflow of what he lived. But Jesus, as, as the great physician, you know, the doctor sent to cure sin. He's here, and what he's showing is that he also had good bedside manner. Right? He cared about the people he was ministering to. He spent time with them. He listened to them. He didn't just come in, write them a prescription, and walk away. He had a relationship with them. That was the way he advanced his ministry. And in this, this, this little gathering at Levi's house led to, led to so many people who were outcast and, and didn't feel a part of what God was doing, led them into the kingdom. Because Jesus had clarity on some things that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, didn't have clarity on. Jesus understood that the mission of God, God the Father, God's mission is to call sinners. God's mission is to gather up and seek out people who are far from God. That's what God is doing. He had a knowledge of God and God's ways, and he, had a, he lived a life according to that knowledge. And he went about that by opening up his life, opening up himself, sharing himself with anybody who was interested. And he did that because he understood that the Father had a mission in the world. Him eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees was Jesus' way of living out his faith, living out his knowledge of God and God's ways. And if you've been, um, if you've been around I-90 for a little while, you probably recognize this little Venn diagram. I love Venn diagrams and charts and stuff like that. This one I stole from a guy named John Tyson, so credit to John Tyson. Um, this represents kind of the things that I believe are like essential part of a, any, any disciple. Or like like they, you need to have these things. You need to have presence, formation, and mission. Right? Like a healthy disciple is going to be leaning into the mission of God, like reaching the world, Leaning into formation or discipleship, like practices, becoming, character transformation, and then seeking God's presence in prayer and in worship. Um, these are essential parts, things, things that, that all churches really ought to be into as well. Um, we are all to be people who are being formed into Jesus' image, people who are present with God, people who are uh, filled with the Spirit, people who are a part of God's missions in the world. And both of these two practices that we've talked about um, line up with the missional thing. I, I think I've got another slide here. Yeah, we're kind of dividing up where, where I, I wish that it could read, like become all around, but I couldn't make it happen. I could, it just, you, you got to jumble. It's a jumble. <laughs> it's a jumble, right? But these two, um, these blessing and eating, they're, they're primarily missional practices, and I think we need to think of them that way. They are things that we do because we understand God has sent his church into the world to be a light in the world, to live and love the way that Jesus loved. Jesus knew God was on a mission, and we need to know that too. And by sharing a meal with people intentionally, I believe that we can truly advance the mission of God to reach people. Now, why is that? And I just want to spend the rest of our time here, just a, a few short minutes here, focusing on that question. Why is that? And it's this, is this, I really believe that the table is the ultimate technology for communicating love. It's the best technology. We, we're not going to outdo it for communicating love. There isn't going to be an app that can outdo the table. 
There isn't going to be some virtual thing that can outdo the table. There is nowhere in our world that can replace the power of the table of sharing life around a table. Um, Justin Whittle Early says this. He says, think through all the ways that the values of love are communicated over food. We serve each other. We clean up after each other. We take turns. We share. We fight and forgive. We praise and compliment, we express gratitude, we tell stories and ask questions, we listen, we hear each other pray. See, honestly, I don't believe there is a space as well-suited for ministry uh, of love and grace and care than the table, than your table, wherever that is. And uh, certainly in Jesus' culture, that was well understood, but I think we've forgotten that in our culture. I think we've we've forgotten the power of sharing meals with people as we've grown insular and kind of cut off from one another. But I think we have to understand that this is a, a, a tool that we have as Christians. Like hospitality is commended over and over again in Scripture. It's a tool that we have to break in with the kingdom and to, to, to be a light in the world. Now, maybe you're wondering, and I think it's a good question to ask, if eating and blessing, like those two things, are really all that we need for mission, right? Because it just sounds like you're just doing stuff that you'd do anyway, Right? And I would say no, because if you looked back at that other thing, there's one more thing in there that's really important. It's the O, which I'll, I'll give away. It's open your mouth, talk about what God has done. That's another essential mission thing. But, but these two other things, blessing and eating, they're really important. And I really want to emphasize them because we see Jesus demonstrate them as the best means of driving the mission forward. You know, like Jesus performed miracles. People followed him all over the place. But there's a, one part of scripture, I think it's Luke 2 or it's Matthew 2. Sorry, bad pastor. It's, it's in the twos though. Um, and it's like all these people come around Jesus and then it says, it says but Jesus knew what was in their hearts. Like he, he knew that like, man, people are coming and they, they want to see him perform miracles, and they think it's cool. But he knows really what's in the hearts of men. He knows what's in the hearts of people. Like, like all this miracle demonstration wasn't actually going to lead to transformation. But the people, like Levi, a tax collector, is, is Matthew, right, who ends up being a major disciple following after Jesus. Like the people who had total life transformation are the people who sat around tables with Jesus. Not exclusively, but pretty consistently, those people who sat with Jesus, who sat with open hearts and, 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 and like just like listened to him, they had total life change. We cannot discount, discount the power of this. Look at Romans 2.4, right? Like we want to think, well, what, what the world needs, they just, they just need to get their act together. And, and to, to an extent, that's true. But Romans 2.4 says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? There's no place where we can do both of these things, kindness and love, but also 
showing people a, a new and better way of living life than at the table. The table is the place where we can effectively do all these things, where we can share life with people and it can really lead to transformation. God's mission is reaching broken and lost people and I believe it really moves forward through kindness, through grace, that grace always leads the way and we're called to be people demonstrating God's kindness and we have such an opportunity, something we're doing every day, we can use that for the sake of of reaching people. This Justin Early guy, Early, it looks like early to me, but I think it's Early. Um, he makes another great observation about, about our culture and how really the, the table is such a powerful place to, to reach it. He says this, the truth is that we live in a culture where most people are remarkably resistant to hearing verbal proclamations of the gospel. What's more, it seems some of them really can't hear it because we no longer share a common vocabulary for communicating whether truth exists, what can be called good, and what love means. And this is the important part, but that's okay. God is not alarmed. Our secular age is not a barrier to evangelism. It is simply the place of evangelism. He goes on, he says, more Americans regularly eat alone now than ever before. Food is meant to bind us to God, neighbor, and creation. But we live in a culture where our eating habits keep us apart and increase our isolation. The best way to understand sharing a meal with others is to see it as a way of turning on the light of presence in a dark culture of loneliness. Right? And so, so, so again, like, I sit down and I eat and maybe I sit at a coffee shop or whatever and coffee is eating too, in my opinion. It's a meal replacement for me oftentimes. So um, I'm totally good with that. Um, but but to, to understand like what we're doing when we're gathering together and intentionally inviting someone for a meal and sharing with them, it's not that we're being nice. Like being nice is nice, but we're trying to be a presence in a dark and lonely culture. If we step in and we understand that's exactly how Jesus went into the world, as a light into the world, just like lighting things up, showing us what's true. He was relational. He was open. We can come in in that same way, and I think we're commended to do exactly that. Look at Matthew 5, 14. Jesus says this. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about you, the church, people who follow after him. He says, you are a light to the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Worship team is going to come up, but I just want to sit here and think about this. Doesn't this make you super uncomfortable? It makes me kind of uncomfortable. Because I don't want to, especially the last part here, let my life shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, your Father in heaven. I think that we, and I, I'm just talking about myself here just as much as anybody else, like, I'm hesitant to want to step out from this place of, I'm trying to think what I'm trying to say, because it seems like not humble, right? 
seems like not humble to think, well, I've got a light and I'm going to let it shine before men. Like that just seems like I've, I've got to think I'm pretty awesome in order to, to do that, right? But we understand that Jesus is, is saying this is what it is. And it's not, it's not that we're going and we're talking about how great we are, but we're understanding that actually Jesus is the light. He lives in me. He's doing something in the world. And when I go out and I step in and I put things into practice and I start to live out my faith intentionally, I'm not coming and saying, boy, I've got everything totally figured out. I'm actually coming and saying, I've got nothing figured out, but I follow a teacher who has told me what a good life would look like. And he's told me and and demonstrated for me and shown me what he's up to in the world. So, So to be somebody who takes up these practices and does them in this spirit of just like wanting to be light in a broken and lost world is just saying, man, I'm just a person who's reflecting and passing on the love that I've received and known. And I am doing my best to just conform my life by the power of the Spirit to to live according with what He's done. We are called to be people who know who we are. And it's not that we're great, but we're people who are becoming something else. We're letting the Holy Spirit Because we're intentionally partaking in this life with God. We're letting the Holy Spirit make us into someone, a type of person who has light shining in them because it's his light just reflecting off of us into the world. And we're not to be ashamed of that process. Oh, man, we've got to get over ourselves. That's really nothing like, like that kind of humility, I think, just comes from pride. It comes from us feeling like, Well, I I don't have enough. Exactly right. I don't have enough. I don't have enough to have my my light shining before men. I just have to be like a mirror reflecting God's goodness, his grace, his kindness, believing that what he says is true, believing that he's on a mission, believing that he is equipping me with everything I, I have. I just need to know who God is, what he's up to in the world, and just say yes to that. Just be a part of that. And I, 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 I could like maybe leave here and maybe for a day or two I could do that really well, but I'll forget. And, and this is the thing. We need to do this together. This is, this, is, this is my pitch again. The reason that we all need to, to be a part of this is because we're only going to become the sorts of people who are just reflecting God's light, like, like doing what he's doing, being a part of what he's doing, letting him do a work in us when we just do it together. When we celebrate, that is, we celebrate the things that were, that's happening among us, like we're, we're excited about this, where we partner with one another, where we just say, hey, like how can, how can I help you become a person of blessing? How can I help you be a person who can, can eat with people and care about people? Like, can I, can I watch your kids while you go do that? Like, can, I, can, I, can I assist you in some kind of way, you know? Um, how can, I, can we partner together to be people who are doing this, like living as a city on a hill, right? A city is not just me. A city is many. We are a city. We're doing this together. We're being a part of this together. And then we just need to repeat. We need to keep at it. We need to keep doing these things. We need to keep being involved in what God is doing. Guys, I believe there's so much 
power in stop trying to be super individualistic, just me, me and God. But if we start doing this as a, as a people and as a group and we start sharing each other, each other's burdens and helping each other and celebrating when, when we're doing these things and partnering together, I think that we have like, it, it's not about church growth. It's not about impact. It's about getting caught up in what God's doing. How beautiful would it be? I just, I'll just do it. If it's just us doing this forever, oh, yes, God. How beautiful would that be? Because life seems boring sometimes. But God is doing a beautiful thing in the world. He's, he's bringing about his mission. He's changing people. He cares for people. And I think that we can be a part of that in meaningful ways if we just start to put some things into practice. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've, um, yeah, invited us into this, Lord. Make us bold. Make us people who are not, like, confident in ourselves, but confident in you and confident in what you're doing. Holy Spirit, I pray for um, you to knit us together, to bring about unity and, and love for one another and, and, and to, uh, to, to use us to reach hurting, broken, lost people, to be a presence in this world. God, we want to be a presence of grace and kindness of blessing, calling people to repentance, calling people to a life with you, God. Do abundantly more above anything we could ask or think, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we just uh, stand up and let's, uh, let's worship together.